It's Daily Thunder, the truth of Jesus Christ dished out live every morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado with a bit of manly grit and gusto. Find out more at live.ellerslie.com. Now, here's today's special guest, Elijah Robertson. Amen. Why don't we stand together? And we'll open up together to Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 1 has a bit of a grounding text today as we open the word of the Lord. Proverbs chapter 1, verse... 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It's not the only time this concept is given. Uh, we see in Proverbs two five it says, "Thou shalt understand the fear of the Lord and find knowledge of the knowledge of God." And in Proverbs nine ten it says, "The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding." <clears throat> so that's what I want us to keep our mind on today as we look at a title, another name of God. We're going to look at El Elyon today. Let's keep this concept that we see in Proverbs 1.7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for the, the truth, the grounding reality of your self-revelation given to us in the written text that would guide us and lead us into actual substance. Lord, as we gaze upon this title, this name, El Elyon, this descriptive um, self-revelation of you to us, I pray that you would guide and guard my mouth, guide and guard our minds, and that at the end of our time together, we would leave this place gazing upon you, and, and more fully able and ready in intentionality to place our confidence, to submit our faith to the revealed reality of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In your name we pray. You alone are to be praised and glorified. Amen. You may be seated. Is that not what it is all about? That as we open up the Word, as we look at God's Word together, as we gaze upon a concept that, that we as Christians, those who have been bought by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, that we would walk out of here more confidently placing our faith Submitting our faith in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's not about nuggets. It's not about 
sparkling pizzazz, but that you and I as human beings would more fully have our confidence and the one who was and is and is to come, as I said, we'll be looking at this term, El Elyon. And I think, by the way, that term means uh, God Most High or the Most High God. And I think when the modern mind thinks of that or, or begins to contemplate that term, most of our minds, I'm going to guess that most of our minds move uh, to this, the idea when we think of God as the most high, as the, 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 the most exalted one, the one who is the superlative, if you will, I, I think that most of our modern minds begin to think, isn't that wonderful? Uh, God is so exalted, he is so above and so over all things that he can deal with my circumstantial situation. Actually, maybe I'm not speaking for everybody else. Maybe I'm just speaking about myself. <laughs> maybe that's just me. I've even taught that. I've even taught, let me put it this way. I've even taught this title with that emphasis. And I don't think it's a wrong emphasis. I don't think it's not true. I just think that's where our, our, our modern mind or our Western American mind tends to go for the very fact that we are so caught up in us. Everything really is about what's going on right here. We like to navel gaze. We like to just look at us and get so caught up in our issues, our circumstantial situations, or at least I do. And it is wonderful to look at this and go, he's, he's over it all. He's greater than all the stuff going on. What's wrong with me? I need to put my trust in him. Well, that's true. As I said, I've even taught this from that perspective. But I think that maybe that misses the point of this title. We tend to look up and, and even our whole knowledge of God is about taking the realities and the wonder of God and, and pulling it down and, and using it for my issues, right? We talked about that last Saturday a little bit. We also reminded ourselves last Saturday, I want to remind us one more time that a title, a descriptive revelation of God is God stooping down in an anthropomorphic way to take human concepts and language and accurately begin to reveal himself to us and what we need to do as we think about these things is not get so caught up in here's my issues or here's what I need to be doing and here's how God can work with that and help with that and deal with that but to ask what does God 
want me to know of himself. Now, I do think one of the outflows of that is that, yes, he is over everything. Why am I worried? Why am I so caught up in my situation, in me, and whatever it is that I'm dealing with? But I don't think that's the primary reality that God wants us to see in this term, in this title, El Elyon. I want to examine, this is a compound name, it's El, which is the singular of Elohim, which I think you guys have had, is that, is that correct? I think you've had that. And then this term Elyon, we're going to look at both of those. And I think that as we examine both of them separately and together, and then they're sometimes used with even the proper name of God or other descriptions, I think we'll begin to see that what God is revealing to us primarily in this term is his transcendent otherness. The, the, the fact that God is not like us. That it is absolutely wrong to look at this created order, and then to see if we can understand who God is. You know that always goes wrong in some emphasis or understanding. It always twists the knowledge of God. Yes, creation reveals God. Yes, you and I are created in the image of God. But it is always wrong to look at then me and say, oh, what is God like? Or to look at that creation and think that you will accurately, accurately understand who God is. And I think this, this name, El Elyon, this title really drives us to grasping that he is not like us. He is transcendently other. He is not contained within created order. And you and I happen to be within created order. And I think we will begin to grasp that the first step of knowing God, I think this name just presses us to the reality that if we are going to know Him, we must first start with the fear of God. It's not a mistake. It's not a neat saying that the Word declares that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of God. And lastly, I want us to look at the fact that Jesus is the one who accurately reveals the transcendent, unknowable otherness of God. And that is our joy. Well, let's examine these two 
words that make up this compound name, this title. And let's ask ourselves, what does God want us to know of Him? What is He revealing of Himself? Well, the first term is L, and as I already stated, that that is the the singular of it's plural, obviously Elohim, and it it simply means strength or power. It has this connotation of the ruling will behind all that is, or behind nature. It's one of the oldest designations of deity that we know of. This term is a common term used of a deity, not just necessarily Yahweh or Jehovah God, but deity in general. It's one of the oldest terms used. Uh, <coughs> Walter Eichrott suggests that this title stresses the distance between God and man. This title that they use does not have the feeling, he puts it this way, of uh, it is not the feeling of kinship with the deity, but fear and trembling in the face of his overwhelming majesty. It's not a buddy-buddy thing, but fear and trembling in the face of his overwhelming majesty. He goes on to say, they do not identify the Godhead with any natural object, but describe it as the power which, uh, which stands behind nature or the overruling will manifested in it. When I think of that idea of the overruling will manifested within nature, what's behind everything? Do you notice they, they don't talk about the sun god? They don't, they don't, they're not idolatrous like later uh, civilizations became, right? In the sense of just literally taking things, carving it, and worshiping it. They had, and, and in fact, it's believed, now we don't know this, but it's believed that this term comes from an accurate revelation of God to man. That God revealed... And it was distorted, yes, but it's coming from an actual revelation of God. And so they had this concept that you, you look at all this created order, and it's wonderful, we've got these windows in here now, and I can like look at the mountains, I can like see the trees, I can see the lake out there. And they would look at that and say, that's not God. God is the abstract thing that we cannot handle, we cannot touch, we cannot know. It is this ruling strength or will behind all that is. Yes, that would bring fear. and tr There's no kinship. There's no buddy-buddy. There's just, who is this? I don't know him, 
and I am afraid of him. What do I need to do to appease this deity? So this term El Elyon begins with this concept of this of strength, of of power, the, the power that, that manifests itself in all that is, that, that is the will that is ruling over all things, is that our concept of God. In fact, in times in Scripture, we will see this term actually just used. When Hagar was roughly treated by Sarai and she fled, God reveals himself to her, right? And listen, in Genesis 16, 13, it says, And she called on the name, and Moses puts it this way, She called on the name of Jehovah, right, the Lord, proper name of God, that spake unto her, and she called on this name, she said, Thou God seest me. And that's that term L. This Thou ruling strength and power, the, the will that just makes all things what it is, that is behind everything, you see me. This, this other reality, this thing that's not human, it's not like me. She had a revelation that this ruling will saw her. In Genesis 17, 1, when God institutes the uh, circumcision, the sign of the covenant with Abraham, listen to what it says here. In Genesis 17, it says, When Abraham was 99 years old, years old, the Lord, proper name of God, appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. And look at Abraham's response. Then Abraham fell on his face. There's no kinship going on here. God Almighty, and that the, the, that's a compound title there as well, but that first part of that is L. And Abraham responds with falling on his face before God. Joshua, I think, it's really neat in Joshua 24. Joshua is challenging the people to serve the Lord. And you remember that wonderful verse where Abraham says, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, right? He challenges the people. What do they do? The people say, Yes, we are going to serve God. We are going to serve this Lord. But Joshua said to the people in verse 19, he says, you are not able to serve, and he uses the proper name of God, you are not able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. I believe that's that term there again. Then he says he is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. The whole book of Job is about this. Who is God? Because if they could accurately define who God is, then they could interpret the circumstance that was happening. And they had these different concepts of, well, what does God really think of this? This idea of L, this term L, 
gives us this connotation of, of God who is unknowable. Isn't that what Paul says about God? He dwells in unapproachable light. You cannot know him. You cannot know him. I said this does not conjure up what most Americans, their concept of God is today. This conjures up fear. And trembling. Because there's this ruling will behind all that is. And we don't know him. We don't know what this ruling strength or will is. The other term is Elion. And Elion has this idea of height, elevation, exaltation, majesty to go up again. This is used of not just God, but even of things, like the highest gate. It always has the idea of the superlative. That which is not just more, but that which is like the top. That which is the superlative. And when used of God, it has the idea of the supreme. In Psalm 18, 13, and I think as we look at this again, you're just going to see it, it, it drives us to the transcendent otherness of God, the unknowability of God, the, the, the separateness of God from us. It's so adverse to our culture today. Psalm 18, verse 13 says, The Lord also thundered in the heavens and the highest. So it just uses the term Elion. It doesn't use the term El Elion, but it just that Elion, the highest. It literally just ascribes God as that superlative, the supreme one. It says, the, And the highest gave his voice hailstones and coals of fire. I don't know about you, and of course that's in David's psalm there, when he cries out to God, there's nothing uh, gentle about this. There's nothing uh, knowable about this. This is the Lord also thundered in the heavens and the highest, the one who is the supreme, gave his voice, hailstones and coals of fire. In Deuteronomy 32, 8, we see it says, When Elion, or when the Most High divided the nations, their inheritance, when he separated the sons of Adam, he set bounds, the bounds of the people according to the number of the children. There's this separateness. Do you hear this? It's when the Supreme did this. There, there's this, this very, there's nothing of closeness going on in this idea of Elion. Psalm 21.7 says, For the king trusts in the Lord. And again, using the proper name of God. And then it says, And through the mercy of Elion, the Most High, he shall not be moved. Now that sounds great. Again, our mind is going to usually take that and go, Yes, I'm not going to be moved. But do you realize the very thing he's appealing to is the transcendent differentness of this Supreme One. He's not saying, God, my body's going to be my help. That's what we are always doing. We're trying to know God. So like, hey, okay, I'm going to take him down here and then work him in my circle. That's I'm going to deal with my fear, deal with all my struggles. That's not what's going on here. The very appeal that this otherness, 
This one who is not like me is the only reason why I cannot be moved is the whole point. He's not like me or I would be moved, right? It's the different, the separateness of God. Psalm 50, 14 says, Offer up unto God thanksgiving and pay thy vows unto Elion or the Most High. Look at, look at what Psalm 73, 11 says. And they say, how does God know? And I believe that might be Elohim there. You have to check me on that. And then it says this, and is there knowledge in Elion? They had a complete misconception of this supreme one. Psalm 78 is another rebuke, and it says, and they sin yet more against him by, speaking of God, by provoking Elion, the Supreme One, the Most High, the One who is transcendently over all. They provoked him. I mean, do you, do you hear the bait here? It's like, what are they doing? They provoked God. Verse, and then skipping to verse 56, he says, yet they tempted and provoked Elion, God, and kept his, not his testimonies. I want to finish with one more verse, speaking of Elion, that is. Isaiah 14, 14 is often referred to as the devil and his rebellion against God. Look what he says. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like Elion. I'll be like the Supreme One. Do you realize what he, what's being said there? I'm not like him. He is other than me. He is different than me. And I'm going to be, come like him. So the enemy, the rebellion of Satan, the very rebellion was, I'm not like this otherness. I want to be like him. I will be like him. These two terms, <coughs> when putting them together, it's the term we have, El Elyon, the Most High God. Psalm 57, uh, 2 says, I cry out to God Most High. There it is, El Elyon, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. Again, stressing that he's different. He can do these things. Psalm 78, 35 says, they remembered that God was their rock, the Most High God, or Elyon, uh, I think it would be then El there. They're a redeemer, yet they test and rebel against it. Again, he uses Elion. Uh, so, and then, then there's times, for sake of time, I'm looking at the time going, oh, wow, it's later than I thought it was. So for sake of time, there's other combinations that this term, uh, it, it might use, again, the proper name of God, like in Psalm 717. It says, I will give thanks to the Lord, and, thank, and thank, the thanks due to his righteousness, I will sing praises to the name of Yahweh, the Most High, or Elion. So there's times that it might be formed differently, but do you see, it is always stressing. He's different. He's other. He's not like us. He's not like me. So when we look at this title, we see that it's one of emphasis. It clearly stresses the transcendent, infinite worth and value of our King in reference to our 
specific earthly reality. God is not like what he has created. So what's the point? What's the point? Is this not our issue? Isn't this what it is? This is all we do is make God like us. This is humanity's natural inclination and tendency to make God like themselves. Whether in an aspect, in a thought pattern, in a desire or a will. Take God and conform Him to His creation. This is God's rebuke in Psalm 50. I challenge you to go read that whole psalm. It's a beautiful psalm. He rebukes them. And He's like, if I needed to eat, would I, would I ask you for these things? Basically, the whole, I'm not like you. And then in verse 21 uh, through 23, I want to read those. It says, Hear, O my people. This is in Psalm 50. Hear, O my people, and I will speak. O Israel, and I will testify against thee. I am God, even thy God. And I believe those are El or Elion there. These, not Elion, sorry, El or Elohim. These things hast thou done, and I kept silence. Thou thought that I was altogether such an one as yourself, as thyself. But I will reprove thee and set them in order before thine eyes. Look what God's response is. Now consider this, you who forget God. When we think of forgetting God, our concept is those who hate him, people don't want to think about him. How about those who think about him, but take him and make him what he is not? How about those who spend their life thinking about God, but not as God is? Look what he says. Now consider this, you who forget God. You don't just forget God by not thinking about him, but you can forget God by making him what he's not. Now you're thinking about something completely different. It's called idolatry. Lest I tear you in pieces and there be none to deliver. Whoso offereth praise glorifies me. And to him, listen to that, this, that ordereth his conversation aright, will I show the salvation of God. You cannot talk rightly about God if you don't think rightly about God. Isn't this our issue? This is humanity's struggle from the beginning. This is exactly what happened even in the garden. If we're going to think rightly about God, we must start with the fear of God. I want to submit to you, friends, as you grow, as you guys get getting, oh, just, just 
good truth in me. Don't ever become so familiar with God that you really think, oh, I, I, I got all this doctrine and theology down. I understand God, and you've got a hymn in your box. Stay humble. Stay humble. True knowledge of God always starts with a fear of God. A proper fear of Him. If we don't start with the fear of God, we won't be ready to receive what He has revealed as true of Himself. I guarantee it. Because there's things that just don't jive with humanity's concepts. And we'll have to change it. We'll have to conform it. We start with the fear of God because then we're humble enough to accept and receive what he reveals as true of himself. And trying to imagine God, we always end up in idolatry. But here's the issue. If we don't think rightly about God, all reasonableness and meaning is stripped out of everything. Did you realize that? Everything. There's no reasonableness or meaning to anything anymore. As soon as we don't think rightly about God, because God himself is the origin of all meaning and the reasonableness for everything. Oh, we need to think rightly about God. I want us to finish thinking, uh, looking at Hebrews chapter 1. I didn't actually print this text out, so let's run there real quick. Hebrews chapter 1 gives us how we think rightly about this transcendent other one, this God who is not like us, who no matter how much we imagine, we will imagine wrongly because we are caught in a time and space circumstantial reality. We can't get out of it. So God self-reveals. Yes, he gives the word, and the word uh, leads us to the one who is the exact representation. What did Jesus say to Philip? Philip, have you seen me? You've seen the Father. You've seen El Elyon, the one who is the other, the one who's not like you. Look what it says in Hebrews chapter 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he created, all, created the world. Now, here's the, here's the important, hone in on this, verse 3. He is the radiance of the glory. When you turn on a light, you cannot have light without radiance, right? I, I wish we had like a closet we could sneak you into and just click it on. All of a sudden, the radiance of the light is poof, 
Christ is the radiance of the unknowable God. He is the radiance of the glory of God, of the nature, of the reality, of the substance, of the value, of the worth of God. And look at this, and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Friends, we start with the fear of God. And we don't leave the fear of God. And it's the fear of God that brings us to Christ. And Christ is the exact representation, the revelation of the unknowable God of El Elyon. The, 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 what the, they knew in Old Testament times, right, that concept that is such a right concept. And I would say we still start there today. It doesn't change. You must begin to realize he's not like me. Even as a Christian, do you realize he's not like you? You are being conformed, what? To be like him. We can never switch it. Jesus did not change the otherness of God. That's another thing with Christianity. We seem to think, oh, I'm in Jesus now, and all of a sudden, he's not different. God is still other. He is still different. He is still different. He is still other. But in Christ, we now can know him accurately. We don't have to end up in some idolatrous conception of God. Because he reveals in our circumstantial, he reveals the true God. What a joy. We would have no hope if it wasn't for Christ. We would not be able to know him. Let's stay humble. So I've taught this name with a different emphasis before. But the more I look at it, the more I just keep going. It stresses his absolute transcendent otherness. And it drives me to Jesus. Let's never become so familiar that we just, we've got it figured out. Because you know what that's all about? It's called, then we manipulate God to deal with what we want. We miss him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your absolute otherness. It is our joy. It is how every circumstance is dealt with. The fact that you are not like us, the fact that you are not caught in this created order, in this circumstantial reality, but you dwell outside and over and in and above. Everything dwells within you. It is all in you, the other transcendent, holy God, the power and strength and the will behind everything. It was your will behind Job's situation. It is your will in our circumstances. And oh, we praise you for Christ who reveals you accurately that we might know you. Not some conception because all we can ever imagine always brings you into our circumstantial created order. But Christ can give us a glimpse past, beyond 
this created order to begin to know you rightly. And then we can actually possess our vessels on this side in this created order in a way that pleases you. And we can love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Amen. Daily Thunder is a production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training and the Bravehearted Media Group. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and see it once again gain the stride of the Spirit emboldened and brave. The Daily Thunder video stream can be watched live daily at 8.15 a.m. Mountain Time, Monday through Saturday, and 7.15 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Join us at live.ellerslie.com. Please consider booking a stopover at the lovely Ellerslie campus at the foot of the majestic Rocky Mountains for one day, one week, one semester, or for an entire season. We hope to see you someday soon live and in person. Thanks for listening.